0: Welcome back to another new episode of the Balance Factor Podcast. My name is Emily, I am your host, and I'm so glad you're joining me here today to better your health and well-being. For today's episode, we are joined by a special guest. I'm so excited to have her on the show. We have Andrea Nakahama to talk all about how to take ownership of your own health and figure out what works best for you. So, Andrea is an internationally known functional medicine nutritionist. She is a speaker, founder of the Functional Nutrition Alliance, and host of the 15 Minute Matrix podcast. Andrea focuses her work on empowering patients to exercise their own self health and ultimately become the CEO of their journey. Now, as you may, know, may or may not know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, I have gone through my own personal health issues. I had no answers and had to navigate the whole system for myself. And ultimately, what ended up being crucial to my recovery process was me taking the initiative to figure out what was going to work for me. And I want to share this episode with you all because I think there's a lot of people out there who are in a similar position where they just feel like crap and they'll go to their doctor or a healthcare provider and be just given a prescription or they'll be given a diagnosis, but it's not really the solution to what's going on. It's just kind of putting a bandaid on everything. So in this episode, we talk about all the ways that you can take ownership of your health and figure out a way and mechanisms that will work best for you. We cover topics related to diet, gut health, the mind and body connection. We talk about sugar, how it affects our mental state. There's so many things we dive into this episode and I I think it's probably one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. So I hope you guys enjoy it and learn from it cuz it there's so much to unfold here. Before we dive into the episode, we have a few things to cover. First things first, make sure to check out my new website and sign up for my newsletter to stay up to date with episodes, new recipes, content tips and tricks. You guys you need to sign up for it. So go to my website balancefactor.com and input your email. I promise you I will not send you garbage emails and it won't be that often, but you will be updated with new stuff that's really gonna help you. Aside from that, we have our weekly favorite. This week it's pretty random, I must say, but I just came back from a trip down south and I consumed a lot of papaya and now I'm obsessed with papaya. I never used to like it, but I figured out a trick. You have to squeeze lime juice on top, and guys, it makes the biggest difference. So now I keep buying papaya and keep eating it constantly, and and I'm obsessed with it. So that is this week's weekly favorite, and I think it's time we get into this episode. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Andrea Nakahama. Andrea welcome to the show i'm so excited to have you here today thank you for having me emily i'm excited to be here with you yeah this is such a pleasure and i think your personal story and the work that you do is so valuable and important in health and understanding that there's not just one way to health there's multiple different avenues and so i want to touch on first what actually is functional medicine? I know you focus your work in that area. So could you explain to us really what that is?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and it's a good grounding place. So I'm a functional medicine nutritionist. So I'll talk about what a functional practice is or should be, and then a little bit about the difference between functional medicine and functional nutrition. So I always like to ground on the three primary tenets of a functional practice. And those are a therapeutic partnership, looking for the root causes and a systems-based approach. So I'll dive into each of those so we understand what that means a little bit more. But a therapeutic partnership is where we really are in a dialogue with our provider. And I like to think about it as being in a dialogue with ourselves too. So as patients, how do we take these principles back to our own practices And I know a lot of us think or get frustrated with our providers and where we feel like they're not partnering with us, but one of my practices and my goals is to really help patients be a better partner in their own care, because we're looking to our providers to be the god instead of the guide, and we're not recognizing that we as patients actually are one of the experts in the room. There's something we're an expert in that our provider can't be an expert in. So. Creating that therapeutic partnership is or should be, and I say should be because I think a lot of practices call themselves functional these days that aren't in keeping with these primary tenants, it should be in a therapeutic partnership. Tenant number two was looking for those root causes, and I think we're all familiar with root cause resolution these days, but I always say there is no one root, and we can talk more about that today. We have to understand the roots to any chronic sign or symptom or condition, and that just means we're asking, why is this happening, not just what do I do about it? And many of us today are just looking for the what do I do about it because we want to piss it and make it better or make it all go away and that systems-based approach for me is really they're all really juicy points but that systems-based approach means we understand systems biology which i know we'll talk about today which means the gut is connected to the brain the hormones are connected to detoxification nothing exists in isolation when we embrace systems biology And also taking a systems-based or systematic approach to care. So we're not just looking at it as a fix, we're saying, how do I think into this? What are the systems that help me approach each individual as an individual so that I understand the case better? So that's what functional should be. And then functional medicine versus functional nutrition is really just the understanding of what the tools are in our toolbox. So a functional medicine provider is likely going to still practice like a medical provider with diagnoses and prescriptions, whereas in functional nutrition, we're looking more at all the factors that impact your health between your doctors visits in all the minutes in your day every aspect of dietary and lifestyle modification is or should be in our toolkit to be thinking about in terms of making a difference whether that's joy or gratitude or vitamin D or what you're eating it doesn't it's all a part of the equation
0: yeah, it's, it's so interesting and I think it's so important because, you know, the research shows nowadays that the best method or the most scientifically proven method to health is an integrative approach and it's not just that one solution, it's looking at the bigger picture and that's, you know, even from my personal experience, that's what I had to do to get my health better was to look at the bigger picture, but also dive deep into what is actually causing this. And typically the symptoms don't really align with what's actually the root cause, which I think is so interesting. So I, I love that you focus your area on this. And so how you got into this is a very interesting story. And I think, so it all stemmed from your personal tragedy when you discovered at you know seven weeks pregnant that your husband had a terminal brain tumor yeah could you touch a bit on that on how you were you know this led you into functional medicine
1: yeah yeah so as you said this was this was quite a while ago so I was uh Seven weeks pregnant in April of 2000 when my husband very suddenly was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiforme. And as you said, that's a terminal brain tumor. At the time, he was given about six months to live. So if you do the math, he wouldn't have been there to see our child, our son born. Um, And at that time, we weren't really, there weren't really that many options. So in terms of brain cancer, there still aren't that many, but we're over 20 years into the difference that medicine can actually make. So he was being offered different clinical trials, and he was sort of a poster child for clinical trials because he was a young, otherwise healthy male. So he was getting actually Phone calls, solicitations from different trials to be in their uh, in their research. Um, so we had to decide which route was he going to go, and what else were we going to do, and so divide and conquer. He was at the medical library without a medical background, but just determining what was the least toxic and most effective route for him to go for his medical treatment. And I started to look at what are all the other things we could be doing? As you said, an integrative approach says yes and. Yes to the medicine and to the diet and lifestyle modification and the acupuncture and the herbs and the exercise, whatever it is, is where that integrative element comes in. And so I started researching about the effects of refined sugar and sugar and glucose on tumor growth and metabolism and bringing the research to him because he was a very stoic, half Japanese man and letting him decide what we were gonna do. And the situation was great. He wanted to be a father and he was willing to do anything. And so that was really my boot camp into the realm of nutrition. I had been... I was a foodie and I had been, you know, uh, dealing with some of my own niggling symptoms, but it was that situation that brought it into sharp relief. Like you experienced Emily, where you just don't have a choice. It's not a niggling thing. It's a big thing. Um, and so we made a lot of dietary changes. He ended up living two and a half years. So he was there to, you know, make an impression on our son who doesn't remember his father now at 22, but that impression and that love was imprinted on him. Um, And uh, that really woke me up, not just to the benefits as quote unquote food as medicine, but also to some of the gaps in our medical system. So I saw Isamu, my late husband, treated like his diagnosis. And that was strange to me. At that point, you know, in our 30s, we hadn't really been exposed to the medical system in that way. We'd gone to the doctor for a little this or that, but we weren't in the system. At this point, we were in the system. You're theirs. You are their experiment they've got ports in you. And I watched this whole thing unfold and found it utterly shocking. And so that became a mission for me, not just to think about the integrative care in terms of the modalities, but the integrative care in terms of the care. Where do we actually fill some of those gaps that exist in our medical system so that people aren't only their diagnoses
0: mhm and it comes down to that actionable approach versus that passive approach because you know yeah. we get thrown in The medical system like you said and typically this can happen based off of some sort of trigger or something that happens and you know you do your regular checkups with your doctor but it's different once you're in it and it's really easy for i mean there i have nothing against practitioners but they're just doing their job but it's you know they write a prescription and you go home with that prescription and left uh, what now and that prescription's only gonna do so much for what's going on But the person that can take charge in this situation is you. But it's a matter of figuring it out how to do that. And I really um, can relate to your story in the sense of taking ownership of your health. And I want to touch on this a bit on how somebody who's in a, even if it's not even a chronic situation, just understanding where to take the next steps
1: and take ownership of their health. Where
0: does someone even start?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. And, you know, I just want to add that my own health journey continued after that. So Mm -hmm. I have Hashimoto's, autoimmune, thyroiditis, but it took a long time to figure out. And so I even understand from my own personal experience what it's like to be looking for answers, not getting them right away, like you experienced, Emily. Yeah what that process is looking like, and that we don't have to wait for the diagnosis. So I think a lot of people, to go back to your question, are struggling with unresolved signs, symptoms, and ultimately diagnoses, thinking that the label of the diagnosis is going to give them their answer. And as you said, once the diagnosis is received, and maybe the answer or solution is given from the medical perspective, there's still a lot that is not going to be resolved because from a functional perspective, there were imbalances to begin with. And so what are the things that we can do in the face of signs, symptoms, and diagnoses and in between our doctor's visits comes down to how we actually tune in. And um, I am a practitioner of narrative medicine. I love the practice of narrative medicine. And I'm really wanting to help patients understand how to listen in. What is your body actually telling you so you can show up in your appointments and represent your truth? Because we come with a kind of messy potpourri of all the things that are going on. So first and foremost, one of the things I like to do is make sure we know the language of how to speak to our practitioners. So understanding that signs and symptoms are different things is one really important point that I just want to anchor on for all of us to take into our medical appointments. So a sign is something that the provider can measure a symptom is something that you experience. And we tend to speak about them all mixed in together. And so we're actually confusing the person we're speaking to because they can't hear our symptoms if they're trying to measure our signs. So one thing I have patients do to advocate for themselves is separate those. So to be able to say... I've been having intermittent fevers, I have a rash, and I have this bloating that you can see right now, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is not my, you can palpate it and feel it versus I'm experiencing fatigue, I have a headache. Those are symptoms, right? So one way to think about it, if you're unconscious, they can measure your signs. They don't know your symptoms, And so speaking their language and knowing what you can get from them is one way to advocate for ourselves. Another way and my favorite way is tracking whatever you can track to be able to go into your medical appointment and be able to speak clearly about your experiences kind of wakes them up to the fact that you're paying attention. So if we're tracking our elimination patterns or we're tracking our cycles or we're tracking when certain things happen and when they don't, that allows us a, a better way of articulating our expertise about ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's – it's, what, what I think about is, you know, we can – we can be given a diagnosis or even no diagnosis and we can either take that diagnosis and just live with it or whatever the circumstances are or we can decide to optimize the situation and move forward and you know I'll talk about my personal experience just to give some context for the listeners is that you know I when in my case I wasn't given a diagnosis and I wasn't just gonna sit there and just sit in this crappy situation I had to decide for myself okay how can I make this work? Because I don't want to live like this. And the only person that's going to fix it is me. And I think that goes to show that when you even step into the doctor's office, the doctor is in control. However, you have to be willing to express the information in a manner that's going to be able to be comprehensible to them and there's a proper way to approach that and I think that's so important to differentiate the difference between the signs and the symptoms because they are not the same thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that communicating to our providers and not expecting that they're going to give us uh, their stamp of approval for everything we do. So a lot of times we go in and we think we're making a dietary change or we're doing something that's going to support us. And there's a lot to talk about there, but Mm -hmm. we'll go in and we want their permission To talk about that, to uh, talk about it and to do it. So we want them to say, oh, yes, your diet's going to make a difference for your cancer diagnosis or your migraines or your PCOS. We want their approval. Doctors don't get any nutrition training, about 17 hours in their 70,000 hours of training. It's not what they know. Their job is to give you and promote what they do know And you don't need to get their approval unless it's something that's going to impact what they're talking to you about. So we don't talk to them about what sheets we sleep on or whether we use a humidifier or what toenail polish we're using. It's okay to do the things that you do as long as they're not crossing over with the recommendations that are being made. And what I mean by that is... We don't want anything counteracting each other. So we don't want to play practitioner taking tons of supplements, taking tons of herbs. If that's something you're doing, you need to bring that forward to your provider. Cause there could be uh, issues that come up from what you're taking and what they're giving you. But if you're eating more broccoli or you're deciding not to eat quinoa or whatever you're doing it's not going to impact their no. me- medical recommendations so stopping asking for approval for the way we live our lives is something i think that is also really important
0: yeah and nobody else knows yourself then better than yourself and okay. you know what you're going to eat may com- be completely different than what the doctor thinks might work for you and like even for me like I was told to eat certain foods and I would eat them and I'm like doesn't work so then I I I stuck to my truths and I think that comes back to what is going on inside of you not them not the doctor what is going on inside of you so I think that's so important to bring light to. And on the topic of nutrition and everything like that, um, I find this stuff just so interesting. So a lot of people, I know you focus a lot of your work on the gut and mind connection and there's been these, all of these information being thrown around on the internet about gut health, uh, the impact on mental health, and it can be extremely confusing for people. I am hoping that you can explain for our listeners what, how the gut and the mind are connected and the way that a poor gut
1: health can impact our mental health and vice versa. Yeah, it's a pretty deep conversation. And what I want to say is, you know, um, I'm the founder of the Functional Nutrition Alliance. I train practitioners. And the very first module is all about gut health because it's so important to all health. And I know you've spoken about it on the podcast before, we can't look at the body in isolation. So first and foremost about the gut, it is the biggest place where the outside world interacts with the inside world. So the digestive system is actually a hole in our body, like the inside or the hole of a donut that goes from our mouth to our anus and we put things in there, and they go into our bloodstream to go to our cells. That is the biggest way. Of course, the skin is the biggest organ that's going to be interacting inside and outside, but we have skins in our digestive system too. So whatever we put into our mouths is, for better or worse, getting into our bloodstream and going to our cells. So that's the most important thing to know, because we can't Separate the brain from the immune system, from the gut, from the nervous, it's all connected inside. My mantra is everything is connected, we are all unique and all things matter. So understanding first and foremost, the brain doesn't exist in isolation. And then understanding that the brain is protected by some barrier systems, most of the body is, that can be permeated, and are connected to when the gut is permeated. So we hear the term leaky gut a lot in the noise out there. What that means is that the gut becomes hyperpermeable. the gut or the digestive system is permeable. Because again, we're putting things in and they have to get into our bloodstream and into our cells, but it should be selectively permeable. And when the gut becomes hyperpermeable, which is true for many of us in our current culture, the brain barrier, the blood-brain barrier can also become permeable. They're very connected to each other. And when that happens, substances, and I don't mean substances we recognize to the naked eye, but substances can cross the blood brain barrier and start to interact with our neurochemistry. It's very subtle, but it does happen. Another connection, if I'm to mention just three, is the vagus nerve, which is Mm -hmm. the biggest nerve in the body, which connects the gut or the enteric nervous system to our central nervous system, which is the brain. So physiologically, there are many ways in which these two systems are talking and connected to each other. And then we have to think, okay, so what do I do about that? I don't care about all that physiology, if you do or you don't. But how do I protect my brain and my mental health by thinking about my gut, even if I don't have gut troubles?
0: Yeah, so in terms of the hyperpermeability in the gut, what are things within our external environment that can cause that within the gut?
1: Yes, so many things. I mean, so many medications, birth control pills, NSAIDs, environmental factors, and some food substances. I mean, here in the U.S., mm-hmm. we the way we produce gluten – can uh, promote some of that hyperpermeability, widening the tight gap junctions in the in, in the small intestine that are supposed to be tighter and kind of pry them apart and make them looser so that things get into the bloodstream, chemical constituents get into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there. When that happens, we initiate a an inflammatory response that affects not just the body systemically, but also the brain where that might too get inflamed. So again, some of the biggest factors are environmental constituents, food and processed foods that we might be eating, and certain medications. I think birth control pills are a big one, and that's a tough subject because it's as you can see, it's not like an either or I'm not going to sit here and say, birth control is a bad thing, because it's necessary. So we have to work around what's true for each individual instead of being so um, polarized about what's good or bad.
0: Yeah, less black and white. And that's, I think you know, looking at the gray in the middle, which is so important. And I've heard you previously talk on other podcasts and within your research about processed foods and sugar and how that can affect our neurotransmitters. I'm curious to know why when we eat sugar we get those spikes and those cravings because often we think that we need sugar for energy and we do need sugar for energy but a different type of sugar yeah, and i'm hoping you can explain that <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so uh, food is going food is a tricky topic so i'm going to just back us up as i like to do it's kind of a joke in my teaching i'm always like back it up we got to back it up so um I don't want to vilify foods because we also live in a day and age where there's a lot of anti-diet culture and a need to shift in the direction of body positivity. And those are all really important conversations to happen because I'm not a fan of dieting. But dietary recommendations are important and necessary, especially if we're dealing with chronic or unresolved health issues. So- the the kind of parameters that I like to help people come into as opposed to rules or good or bad are that we have to determine what our non-negotiables are. And the non-negotiable trifecta before we find our personal non-negotiables is sleep, poop, and blood sugar balance. And so that blood sugar balance allows us to then dive in to why do we care about blood sugar balance? Where is sugar an issue? What does this matter for me? As opposed to having a conversation where we vilify sugar, right? So, processed sugars are difficult on the body because they can impact a lot of our mineral stores, they can rob from our uh, existing minerals because of what our body needs to process them. Mm-hmm. That said, some people may be able to tolerate a little bit of sugar. I can't tolerate a little bit of sugar. What happens for me if I eat refined sugar, even if it's in like a sauce that is at a restaurant, is my face will get really puffy. And so that becomes a risk-reward conversation for me in terms of is that worth it to experience that effect. So cause-effect everything we put in our body or on our body has a cause and effect, and we're constantly in a risk-reward conversation. So with refined sugar, it definitely can rob the body of certain minerals, particularly magnesium, which is important for so many physiological functions, and it contributes to blood sugar imbalances that can also be Um, at the foundation of a lot of health issues that we experience. So when we're on a more even keel, that's when we have a better chance of feeling our best. So I like to think about it more in its relation to blood sugar balance from a functional perspective versus (laughs) the sugar itself so that we can connect with what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to feel
0: mm mm-hmm. So in terms of the blood sugar levels um, in relation to our state of mental being, how does a higher sugar intake affect our mood and um, whether we feel more depressed or anxious? How does that, How are those two associated?
1: Yeah. Great question. So there's a number of ways. Again, it's not just the the human physiology is super complicated. We're complicated Um, people. (laughs) So complicated, as you know. But one way is that it's going to have us on the swings that uh, have give us energy and then deplete our energy. So we may be using certain substances like refined sugar to give us energy, but then we're going to have that depletion. So top of the mountain, base of the mountain, we're going to feel that swing in our system. So that's going to mess with us, keeping us tired and always seeking something outside of ourselves to feel on. In addition, elevated glucose, especially over time, can impact our insulin levels, which ultimately impacts all of our hormones. It's a cascade, mm-hmm. but that's going to also uh, cause more inflammation in the body. And again, the brain can get inflamed and that's going to lead to... <clears throat> more depression and anxiety and issues that are related to brain inflammation. Inflammation is definitely one of our roots if we're to think about root causes. So uh, just being able to quiet down the swings that the body goes through is not only good in the short term for managing our mental health and how we're feeling day to day, but long term, the impact that it might have on our uh, future states, future mental health states.
0: Mm -hmm. So for somebody who's looking to slowly cut back on those big swings, where, how can they start? Where would be kind of the first approach to that?
1: yeah. so, um, I just want to acknowledge that i'm I feel like sometimes when I'm having these conversations, I feel like I'm speaking in tongues because I'm yeah. trying to bring us back to like the kind of systematic thinking and not be in the answers that social media promises us that yep. um, don't get us anywhere. So I just want to acknowledge that like i I'm inviting us into all of us into a deeper conversation. of so, course. One of the things I like to invite people to think about is fat, fiber, and protein. So just thinking every time you eat, consider fat, fiber, and protein. And I know you speak about this beautifully in your book too, just what are those good fats? How do we bring those in? How do we consider how we're bringing balance to what we're consuming? So even if you're eating sugar... How do you balance that with fat, fiber, and protein at every single meal or snack? So that's one way I like to invite people to start playing with their food and their meals because that's something they can own versus I can't have that, but I'm supposed to eat this. No cupcake. I've got to eat kale, right? Like that becomes too restrictive and so... I do believe there are certain foods that work for some of us and don't work for others of us. So as a functional medicine nutritionist, I am often looking at where we have to make eliminations, but I never want it to feel like deprivation. So as a gross rule of thumb, I'm going to say gross in the wide sense of the word, fat, fiber, protein, play with it. You may then have questions. What do you mean by fat? And how much protein? And I just say, to start it doesn't matter. Fat fiber protein. What does your body tolerate? How does it feel? Try one thing alone. The next da- day, try it with something else. Even if we're talking uh, like about a banana. This morning I ate a banana. Tomorrow I eat a banana with almond butter. How do I feel? the rest of the day and tuning in to the differences that we're experiencing is what leads us to more ownership over that process of eating for Mm -hmm. nourishment versus eating because somebody told us how to do it.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to protect the mind in terms of those restrictive attitudes because if we put those labels or those numbers to things, one, it becomes extremely toxic and it also just becomes debilitating to our everyday life. You know, you go to a restaurant and you're hyper fixated on the amount that's on your plate and that's not how we should live. And I think it's, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are for somebody who's in a position where they're trying to differentiate what their non-negotiables are in terms of removing something. And I know it's unique to each individual. However, I'm I'm wondering if you have some advice for somebody who's, you know, having a hard time being like, should I give this up or should I not give this up? What's a way that someone can
1: figure that out for themselves? Yeah, that's another really great question. And I, I just want to acknowledge that what you just said and what many people experience in relation to eating is very disempowered. Our relationship with our body is non-existent we don't even know what we're feeling or what we're supposed to feel and our relationship with food is dictated by so many factors outside of us from the food industry to the diet culture to the healing diet culture where we think we're supposed to eat autoimmune paleo or ketogenic or intermittent fasting and we're not tuned in to our mothers to our culture like we're so separate from this therapeutic partnership with our bodies so Mm -hmm. the way we get there should i eat this or should i not eat this is what i like to invite people to make a yes no and maybe list what do you know makes you feel good when you eat it and why what do you know doesn't work for you and what are you unsure about and start with your yes foods and see if that's even true because often people will say here's my yes no and maybe list but i'm still experiencing eczema my skin's breaking out i'm bloated i'm like okay then two things could be happening here either your yes list isn't your yes list or and or we need to do more internal healing so that your yes list can be as broad as possible. So it's not just about the food, it's about how our body is able to process, digest, absorb the food. So if you find yourself hyper fixating on what you can or can't include, it might be a time to bring in somebody to help work on the healing of the insides To help you tolerate more, because we work with people in our clinic who may be eating three foods, you're not getting the nutrition you need or the nourishment you need from three foods. So we need a vast array of foods to get the nutrition that we need. So yes, no, maybe list is a great place to start. And then you just sit with that yes list. Is this true for me? Where do I need to make a next step? And I love to work with people on their maybe list and uncover, like, why do you think that's not working for you? Is that true? That when you eat that, that doesn't work for you? Is that not true? Is that a story? Is there something we could do about that? Is that food a maybe because you really want to eat it, but it doesn't feel good when you do? And we want to be able to live a little bit in the yes and maybe I think of that as the path, the bike lane, because I live in the Pacific Northwest, but you could think of that as the shoulder for East coasters of the road and the poison Ivy. And there's going to be some foods for each of us that just don't feel good. They don't work, but I want people to be able to move into their bike lane every Mm -hmm. so often. So Yes, no, maybe tracking are the ways I would say slow it down and pay attention before making a decision.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that because that yes, no, maybe list, it's not only a way of recognizing what internally digests for you, but it's also a challenge to the mind in terms of am I not eating this because I psychologically think it's going to affect me? Or is it physically actually going to affect me? And, you know, coming back to my story, um, I was once given an entire list of yeses and nos. And right. that yes list was very restrictive, which depleted me of all my nutrients. Yeah. And so I had to remove that and say, okay, I know this, this sits with my gut very well. This doesn't. Let's just start there. And I, I absolutely love that approach because I, I've lived it myself and i it's so important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm sorry you went through the challenges you went through. And I'm grateful that you've transcended that to be able to help so many others think into how do we approach everything through a different lens that mm-hmm. has more self advocacy as part of the equation. And I think us deciding what's a yes a no and a maybe versus a piece of paper. I always say dietary change isn't a handout. It's not a Mm -hmm. handout. And we're all, even if we think about FODMAPs or histamine or these very restrictive diets, each person is going to react differently to different items on those lists. And when we eat a restricted diet for too long of a period of time, we actually introduce deficiencies and nutrient deficiencies manifest as signs, symptoms, and diagnoses. We know a vitamin C deficiency is scurvy. That happens at minute levels for every kind of nutrient deficiency. So on the opposite side of the equation of those who don't know what to remove are people who remove and remove and remove because they're trying to control their signs and symptoms through the foods they eat, and that is not going to work. That's a conditioned food hypersensitivity. Again, we may need to go inside and not ignore that the insides need some support in order to tolerate diversity in the food that we need to nourish ourselves.
0: Of course. Yeah. So, so well said. So to wrap up today, I want to end off our conversation on knowing what would be your best piece of advice for somebody in a situation where they just either it's chronic or they just don't feel good. What would you say to them to encourage them to figure their health out for themselves?
1: Yeah, so it can be done and you can tune in and learn more so that you can go and get the answers that you need so i want to encourage folks that they can be be empowered to do that and tracking for me is the key so i think of tracking as your food your mood which i'm going to put in quotation marks and your poop so what are you consuming what are you experiencing signs and symptoms And what's your elimination like? And if you step back and you create a little chart, if you're able, some people can't even do the food part because that's triggering. Even if you're doing symptoms throughout the day, how does that feel? How am I eliminating? If you start to look at that without the diagnostics in mind, just the inquiry, slow down, get curious. There's going to be connections that help you Either to make some changes in your own life or or and or to go and find a provider and be able to say, I'm constipated. It started when I was 16. It seems to be triggered when I am under this amount of stress in my relationship or at work or when I don't do the X, Y and Z. Just start to look at that process there's so many other things we can do but for me tracking is one of the ways that we step back get curious get out of the doer mindset and Mm. into the quiet mindset of actually looking for more data
0: yeah it really comes down to being curious with yourself and Yeah, I I love that. Um, so for anyone who's curious to follow you and find your story, learn more about you and your podcast, where can they find you?
1: You can find me at andreanakiyama.com. That will lead you back to the Functional Nutrition Alliance, the company that I founded, to the podcast and to anything else that I'm doing.
0: Amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming on today.
1: Okay guys, that is it for this
0: week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Let me know your thoughts, what you like, what you don't like. I really want to hear your feedback. And also make sure to check out my Instagram and TikTok. Everything is at Factor, as well as balancefactor.com to sign up for the weekly newsletter. You will not want to miss out. And with that said, I hope you have an absolutely amazing day. And I will see you next Wednesday for another new episode. Bye guys!